Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Monday, the 11th of April, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geoblock from, while also keeping your data safe. If you go to LibertyShield.com and use the code EPL25, you get 25% off at checkout, be it a hardware package or software package. The hardware package is a router, gets sent to you in the post, worldwide shipping. The software package is instant download to your devices, get using straight away. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks. Uh, Mental weekend in the Barclays Premier League. And as is to be expected, I got basically every prediction entirely wrong. Let's start Friday night. Newcastle won Wolves nil. A desperate game of football, like watching paint dry. The only goal of the game is a Chris Wood penalty on 72 minutes. Wood himself was brought down by Jose Sa. He bought the penalty, but it is a penalty. He went seeking the contact. He got the contact. He went down. It is a penalty. There's no question about it. Wood stepped up and finished well from the spot. He had a goal previously ruled out for an offside in the build-up, though he did actually quite well to finish it while lying on the floor. Wolves' defence was not particularly good in this game. thought Connor Cody in particular had a bit of a stinker. Massive, massive miss in midfield when Ruben Neves is not there. Though, credit to Luke Cundall, I actually thought he had a good game. For a 19-year-old who's not used to playing at this level, I thought he did okay. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from Trinkio and, and Huang in the Wolves attack, but it wasn't to be on the day. Uh, big win for the tune, just gets them back on track a little bit after a couple of shaky performances and results. Uh, they're 15th in the league. They are two points off the group of Southampton, Brentford and Aston Villa. Three points off the top half, which considering where they were not all that long ago, is a hell of an effort. Now, their goal difference is still tragic. Uh, Minus 20, 54 goals conceded. Most of that, obviously, came in the early part of the season. It is just funny to see. Uh, Moving on then into Saturday, and the worst game of football you will witness all season long. Everton won, Manchester United nil like watching two JCBs crash into each other, break down, and then try and limp around for a little while, a little bit of limp home mode. Desperate, absolutely desperate. Jordan Pickford, to his credit, made a couple of very good saves from Marcus Rashford early, a good save from Cristiano late. A little bit lucky with that one. I'm not sure he knew all about it, but he also made one good save from Paul Pogba, 
De Gea's best save came from a deflected shot. Um, one of many shots that hit Slabhead on the day. Um, the goal is a deflected shot. Anthony Gordon's strike hits Harry Maguire and beats David De Gea. Maguire's been criticised for it. Look, his performance was poor. He can do nothing about the goal. He is exactly where you would want him to be for that goal. It's just an unfortunate deflection. Simple as that. It's a huge win for Everton, though. Absolutely huge win for Everton. But David De Gea summed it up when he came out after the game and said their performance was a disgrace, because it was. It was an outright disgrace. Everton are terrible. And United went there and seemed to have no idea what to do with the ball. They had so much possession in the second half and had no idea what to do with it other than give it to Sancho and hope for the best. And there was times where he'd beat a man or beat two men and then there'd be a third and a fourth and no United player would come looking for the ball. They'd just stand at the back post waiting on a cross. Another disgraceful performance by Cristiano Ronaldo, not just in terms of his footballing performance, but his behaviour as well. Uh, leathered the ball into the crowd at one point, um, should have been booked for that. And then when he was leaving the ground or leaving the pitch to go to the dressing rooms after the game, he slapped the phone out of the hand of a child and broke the phone. Uh, He should be suspended for this. Um, It's petulant. It's not at all in keeping with what we expect from players. I get you're frustrated. You can only really be frustrated with yourself, though. You're the one playing so poorly. He offered to bring the kid to Old Trafford for a game. I'm not sure why this Everton fan would want to go to Old Trafford. Um, I'm also not sure how that goes about fixing the poor boy's phone. So, you know. Something has to be done here. Uh, he should be he should be fined at the very least. But I don't think a game suspension would would do him any harm. Might take some of the ego off him. Um, he was shocking, absolutely shocking. Also shocking, Watford, Watford, dreadful at home to an, a bad Leeds team, and they get absolutely run off their own pitch. Three nil to Leeds. Watford did create a couple of chances in the game. Ishmael Sar should have scored, but Leeds just ran away with this one. Rafinha made it one on 21 minutes, gave Ben Foster the eyes from outside the box and then beat him in the in the opposite corner. Rodrigo capitalized on some calamity defending on 73 to make it two. And then Jack Harrison on 85 with an absolute perler of a left-footed shot, arrowing into the far corner. Brilliant goal. Brilliant goal by by Harrison. Leeds were very good value for their win. And they are now, I would say, safe for next season. 33 points. They are nine clear of Burnley. Burnley do have two games in hand, but Burnley don't seem to want to stay up. Watford seemingly don't want to stay up. They're 11 points behind Leeds. I think Leeds will be fine. They should win one more between now and the end of the season. Credit to Jesse Marsh. He really has turned things around. He really has done an excellent job in a short period of time. New manager bounce, it may be, but look, it's what they needed. I was against the dismissal of Bielsa because I think what he'd done for the club, he deserved to see out the season, but who knows what the results would have been if he'd stayed. Who knows? Now, they got Calvin Phillips back as well. He came off the bench in this one. And that will be a massive, massive plus for them over the remainder of the season. For Watford, this was their week. This was their week. They had Leeds. Then they had Brentford. That was two winnable home games that could have dragged them out of the bottom three. Instead, they got walloped by Leeds. I expect them to get nothing against Brentford. City will wipe the floor with them. And then they play Burnley. Um, they do have Burnley and Everton still to play, but uh, I, I can't be bothered with them anymore. Uh, moving on, Southampton nil, Chelsea six. 
What was crazy about this game was Chelsea didn't even seem to be trying all that much. This was cruise control from Thomas Tuchel's side. They just carved Southampton up time and time again. 24 shots to four, 14 on target to one. Amazingly, despite conceding six goals, Fraser Forster was probably the man of the match here. He made some absolutely world-class saves, but his defense was a train wreck. Alonso made it one on eight minutes. Mount made it two on 16, a decent half volley from the edge of the area. Timo Werner made it three on 22. Uh, James Ward-Prowse with a header in his in the Chelsea half that set Werner clear on the Southampton goal, which is a, a very rare skill. You don't see that type of assist all that often. Uh, Werner rounded the keeper and finished well. Uh, Kai Havertz made it four on 31. Again, it's great work from Werner. Tiptoes through the defence, hits the post, it drops, and, um, and Kai makes it four. Werner made it five on 49, and Mount made it six on 54. And at that point, it felt like Chelsea were just feeling sorry for Southampton uh, because they really could have run the score up even more. Uh, Werner had hit both posts and the crossbar uh, by the time he got his second goal. So it, the gulf was massive. The gulf was massive. Chelsea needed this. With Real to come in midweek, Chelsea badly needed this win. They get their win and they can move forward with a bit of confidence. Uh, they also keep a bit of a gap on fourth place, which also important for them. They don't want to go into the last couple of weeks of the season having to worry about Champions League football for next season. Southampton now, who had that good run not that long ago when they were, you know, drawing with City, beating uh, Spurs, beating Everton, beating Norwich, knocking West Ham out of the cup. Uh, they are now no wins in five in the Premier League. Thumped by Villa, beaten at home by Newcastle, beaten at home by Watford drew away with Leeds and then hammered at home by Chelsea. It has not been a, a good month or so for Ralph Hasenhutl and his bunch of mediocre merry men. Uh, moving on then, Arsenal 1, Brighton 2. This feels like Arsenal season starting to come apart. I said all season, I thought they were Fugazi. We saw them get walloped by Crystal Palace. And despite the fact that they did have more of the ball, more shots, I don't think they can really argue with the outcome of this game. They did hit the crossbar. They did have a goal ruled out. Now, the goal that was ruled out is an interesting one. So Trossard puts Arsenal or puts Brighton one up on 28 minutes. For some reason, Granit Xhaka was selected to play left back. And for some reason, on about 27 minutes and 50 seconds, he goes wandering towards the halfway line. Lewis Dunk has the ball in his own half and plays what's more a hopeful clearance than anything, just into the right-hand channel, where Enoch Mwepu, who's playing right wing back out of position for Brighton, just happens to be. And Xhaka is miles out of position. So Mwepu picks the ball up, drives into the box, cuts it back, Leandro Trossard strolls onto it. Couldn't have more time or space. It's a great finish. It's abysmal defending from Arsenal. And it all comes from picking Granit Xhaka at left back. Arsenal had a goal ruled out just before half time. So it's a set piece. There's a lot of bodies in the box. On the second ball, it comes across. And Martinelli is basically standing under the crossbar and he heads it home. It took five minutes for the VAR to find the right angle. Now, in watching it back multiple times, he is offside because he's actually in line with Robert Sanchez behind Cucurella, who's the last defender. But I have to believe if it takes that long, surely you just go benefit of the doubt to the attacking team and on we move. That was farcical. Either get the GPS tracking in or set a time limit on how long these things can take, because that was farcical. 
Brighton deserve to go one nil up, up to go in one nil up, but Arsenal can feel aggrieved that the process took that long. Um, Wepu made it two on 66 minutes. Moises Casado, I believe his first start in the Premier League, very talented young Ecuadorian midfielder that Brighton signed from under the nose of Man United and others last season. Plays a good one too with Trossard, cuts the ball back to the edge of the box. It's a very good finish by Mwepu. Very, very impressive finish. I think he's got two goals this season, if I'm not mistaken. Away to Liverpool and now away to Arsenal. Both of them have been bangers. Absolute bangers. No tap-ins for that man. Um, Yeah, and a deserved 2-0 lead. Arsenal knocked and knocked, but they they never really looked like they were going to do much. They resorted to some long-rangers, and the goal itself is a long-range shot from Odegaard that takes a deflection and loops over Robert Sanchez or Bob Sanchez, as I call him, and um, gives Arsenal a a little bit of hope for the last couple of minutes. But all things considered, I don't think you can argue that Brighton deserved the win. Brighton hadn't won in seven, though. So for them to go to Arsenal and win, it says a lot about Arsenal. That's 10 defeats now for the Gunners this season. They're now three points behind Spurs, 10 goals worse off in the in the goal differential column. Uh, they've conceded one less, but scored 11 less. They do have a game in hand. It's a way to, to Chelsea. It's a way to Chelsea. And if they lose that, then even if they beat Spurs, Spurs will still be ahead of them. And Spurs have an easier running. So uh, I, I think they're going to end up maybe finishing sixth. Because I think West Ham will beat Arsenal as well. Um, I think they're going to end up sixth. Now, sixth is still progress from eighth. But given all the bragging that I've heard from Arsenal fans who were adamant their team were back and were going to get top four this season and were then going to go on and challenge for the title next season, I think maybe a slight pumping of the brakes required. A slight pumping of the brakes required. Because you're not very good. You're not very good. If you're losing double figures games, you're not a good team. And I don't want to hear from you. So, you know, we'll move on. Um, Congrats to Brighton on a good win. Rights the ship a little bit after that really poor run. Well, they've only won eight games this season. But funnily enough, they've only lost 10, same as Arsenal. The difference between Brighton and Arsenal are 10 draws. Brighton have drawn 13 games. Arsenal have drawn three. Arsenal have won 18. Brighton have won eight. They both have uh, 10 defeats. Uh, Arsenal have conceded one goal less, but scored 17 more. So there's where the difference is. Brighton just can't score goals. Um, Arsenal just aren't particularly good. Spurs are, though. Spurs are a good team. Now, I know they've lost 10 games as well this season, but Nuno Espirito Santo tax. Uh, min Son made it one on three minutes. Kulosevsky made it two on 50. Son made it three on 77. Moment of pause. Harry Kane's assist here is brilliant. The ball is traveling towards Kane. He glances over his right shoulder to locate Son and then turns and flicks the header over his left shoulder, right into Kane's path. It's a brilliant assist. It's a brilliant goal. And Kane wrapped it up on 71. Or sorry, Son wrapped it up on 71 after a really good team move from back to front and a Kulisevsky assist. Spurs look a bit scary at the minute. They really do. Uh, That front three is dynamite. Kulisevsky, Kane and Son is dynamite. Emerson is starting to look like the player they thought they were buying. Bentoncourt has elevated the midfield massively. Hoisberg is playing well. Now, Doherty got injured and his season's over, but Regulon is there. Regulon's better than Doherty anyway, so he'll come in. Romero is playing out of his mind at the minute. Dyer and Davies will still give opponents chances. Like Danny Ings missed a sitter in this game because Eric Dyer was caught out of position. Um, and things just kind of broke down from there. But this Spurs team look a little bit scary at the minute, and 
they do look like they should get top four. They do look like they should get top four. They're scoring goals. They're not conceding a bunch. They're controlling games in midfield. They just look like a real team. And Villa don't. That's four defeats in a row for Villa. Um, Luckily enough, they're safe because their form at the minute is diabolical. Some of these performances are, are an atrocity, an absolute atrocity. If we look back over the last while for Villa, hammered by Spurs, lost to Wolves, lost at home to Arsenal, lost to West Ham. They beat a really bad Leeds team. They beat Southampton, who you just don't know what you're going to get. The Brighton win was excellent, but Brighton were in a desperate run at the time. Lost at home to Watford, lost away to Newcastle. Drew 3-3 with Leeds. Beat Everton. Lost to Brentford. Like, Villa haven't actually been very good under Gerrard at all. Um, I did see a stat today where Lampard has a higher winning percentage at Everton than Gerrard does at Villa, but it helps that Lampard has managed less games. It also helps that one of the wins is against Boreham Wood and Gerrard hasn't had the uh, the comfort of a game against a non-league team. But they're not very good. And if I was a Villa fan, I'd be a little bit concerned about what they're going to look like next season. Those were Saturday's six games. On Sunday, the Kieran and Dewsbury Hall show at the King Power. He made the first goal for Adam Ola Luckman and he scored the second himself just before half time with an absolute belter from the edge of the box. Uh, Wilf Zaha missed the penalty, was allowed to retake the penalty, missed the retake and then headed home the rebound on 66. Leicester were good value for the win, but there was a bit of 15-minute spell in the second half where it looked like they might throw it away, which would have been very Leicester. Huge game for Leicester now coming up in midweek against PSV Eindhoven in the Europa Conference League uh, for Palace. I think they'll be a little bit disappointed with their first half performance, but all things considered, they're still top half in the league. They've got an FA Cup semi-final next weekend. That is going to be their focus. There is a blow in that Tyreek Mitchell had to go off injured and he might now miss the FA Cup semi-final. Michael Elise also still not back. So question over whether he'll be ready to go. I don't know the answer to this question. Is Conor Gallagher allowed playing that FA Cup semi-final? I really hope he is. I know he wouldn't be allowed to play in a league match. He's not. Oh, that sucks. Oh, that's that's dreadfully unfair. That's dreadfully unfair that he's not allowed to play. And it's a massive blow for Palace. Uh, Norwich 2, Burnley nil. As I said, Watford and Burnley don't want to stay in the division. This was awful from Burnley. Norwich weren't good. Burnley were just dreadful. Genuinely dreadful. Lise Malou put Norwich one up on nine minutes. A shot that took at least two, potentially even three deflections and beat Nick, Nick Pope. Uh, Burnley huffed and puffed a bit. Max Cornet make, missed a tap-in after a really good ball from Dwight McNeil. I have no idea why Dwight McNeil is not currently starting. Because if you've got Veghorst up front, you need your best crosser on the pitch, and their best crosser is Dwight McNeil. Aaron Lennon should not be starting Premier League games for you in 2022. In the year of our Lord, 2022, if Aaron Lennon is even in your matchday squad, you're not a Premier League club. It's as simple as that. Timu Puki on 86 with the goal to wrap it up for Norwich. And it, it was clear from probably the 15th minute on, if there was going to be a second goal in the game, it would probably be from Norwich. Burnley were just desperate. Absolutely desperate. Daesh got, has gotten his tactics badly wrong in the last two games. He got away with it against Everton. 
He made an absolute mess of things at the weekend. They're four points behind Everton. There's eight games left. So there's still the chance that they stay up. This is going to run and run. This is a mess. But I'd like to introduce a motion to have both of them relegated and Watford and Norwich and bring up four from the championship because none of these clubs deserve to be in the Premier League next season. Norwich are, or sorry, Norwich just don't spend enough money to stay up. Like, I don't know if they're actually ambitious enough. They only really spend what they buy, which is fair enough. It's a, it's a, an admirable way to go about it, but I don't know that Norwich can sustain staying in the Premier League because Delia Smith isn't wealthy enough to be a Premier League owner. Watford don't have a plan at all. Uh, Burnley's new owners seem to have tied Sean Dyche's hands behind his back. And Everton have broken all the financial fair play rules for the sake of this. And if it wasn't for the fact that Burnley and Watford are so inept, Everton would be in the bottom three. Everton deserve to be in the bottom three. In a normal season, Everton would be in the bottom three. But this season is bizarre. All four of them should be relegated. Let's bring up four from the championship. So the championship table right now, we've got Fulham running away with it. Bring them up, 10 points clear. Then you've got Bournemouth, Scotty Two Coats, Six points clear of Nottingham Forest. But I say let's bring up the top three, Fulham, Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest. And then we do the playoffs for the fourth spot. Huddersfield, Luton, Sheffield United, Blackburn and Middlesbrough just on the bubble of that at the moment. They're a point outside, but they do have a game in hand. So obviously if they take anything from that game in hand, uh, they should go above Blackburn, unless it's a nil-nil draw, in which case it gets really funky because then they'd have scored the same amount of goals. I think it goes to matches one then, doesn't it? Am I right in that? I think I could be right in that, in which case they'd go up. But either way, they're um, they're a point behind Blackburn with exactly the same number of goals scored, goals conceded, and obviously then goals goal difference. But, yeah, bin the four of them from the Premier League, promote the top three automatically and have the playoffs four through seven and get four teams up because these four deserve to go down there. All of them should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, Brentford two, West Ham nil. Uh, West Ham really looked leggy after the Leon game in midweek. They just did not turn up at all. The only real chance they had in the game came from Suchek. They got outplayed in all areas. Ivan Tony caused them absolute, absolute horror shows. And in more bad news, Kurt Zuma got injured and had to go off. So he may be out of the Leon game at the week uh, in, in midweek, which would be a huge blow. Um, Brian and Buomo put them put Brentford one up on 48. Brilliant, brilliant assist by Ivan Tony. And Tony made it two on 64. A good assist from Mbom. A little bit behind him, though. Tony had to readjust just to get power on the header, but he finished with a plum. Ivan Tony has 14 goals and five assists this season, 12 and four in the Premier League. Go back and look at big chances created or chances created by Ivan Tony this season. The guy should have easily 10 assists. And Buomo's missed at least five, like, guilt-edged opportunities from Ivan Tony setups. Tony's starting to really show what he can do in the division, and it's great to see. He had a bit of a lull there through the middle of the season, but he's really starting to, to pick things up over the last, say, two months. By middle of the season, I mean middle of what we've seen so far. So, like, November, December, and a little bit of January but he's really, really kicked things on again. Um, And his best performance is still that absolute walloping he gave Joel Matip when Liverpool went there earlier in the season. He just battered Joel Matip all over the place. Uh, This is a bad defeat for West Ham. This was an opportunity for them to catch Arsenal and, in fact, go above Arsenal, and they failed to do so. But they are helped by the fact that 
United and Wolves both lost as well, so they don't do, lose any ground in the chase for top four. And finally then, Manchester City 2. Actually, I should say, Brentford, you can bank on them being in the Premier League next season. Four wins out of five, right when they needed it. Right when they needed it, four wins out of five. 36 points now. Same as Southampton, but a better goal difference. Same as Villa. Brentford will be playing Premier League football in 21, sorry, in 22-23. So congrats to them for that. Um, Manchester City 2, Liverpool 2. Kevin De Bruyne put City 1 up on five minutes. Uh, Jordan Henderson fast asleep, out of position. Back turned to the free kick, moaning at the referee. Doesn't try and get back in position. Doesn't try and block the free kick. Just moans at the referee. Balls played to De Bruyne. Fabinho, who's further from De Bruyne than Henderson, has to get across. De Bruyne beats him and scores. Deflection on the shot, but a good goal. Diogo Jota equalizes on 13 minutes. Thiago's defense open, Thiago's pass opens things up. Trent puts the ball across, comes back to Andy Robertson. Robbo puts the ball back into the box. Trent makes the back post run, slots it back for Jota. And 1-1 it is. City were the better team and really did look a level above Liverpool for the next 25 minutes or so. Uh, and they finally got their just desserts when Gabriel Jesus made it 2-1 on 37 minutes. Joao Canseo picked the ball up on the left-hand side. Absolutely no pressure at all put on him. Uh, players just standing watching him, just having a look. And uh, he clipped the ball to the back post. Jesus made a run. I don't know if Trent Alexander-Arnold saw him. I don't know what happened, but he ran blindside of Trent. Trent played him offside to his credit, but Joel Mata played him onside and he finished well past Alison Becker to make it 2-1. And you couldn't deny that City were the better team first half and deserved their lead. But Liverpool made it 2-2 in the 46th minute. Straight out of the break, Liverpool looked a better team. And Salah's pass opened up the defence. Mane finished. Great goal. And Liverpool were back in it. Liverpool then could have gone 3-2 up. Diogo Jota missed a great opportunity. And from there they went flat again and City were the better team. It wasn't helped by the fact that Liverpool were playing with 10 men until Jordan Henderson was taken off. The guy was just awful. Now Fabinho was poor, but Fabinho being poor is a great player having a poor game. Andy Robertson being poor is a very good player having a poor game. Jordan Henderson being poor is just what Jordan Henderson is these days. Simple as that. City could have won the game late on. Riyad Mahrez hit the post from a free kick and then had a good opportunity when he got through against Van Dijk, tried to stand him up, tried to cut inside, tried to chip the goalkeeper. It takes the slightest deflection off Joel Matip. It may have been going over anyway, but the Matip deflection took it well over. Should point out City had a goal disallowed in that second half. Raheem Sterling marginally offside. When I saw it, I thought, oh, he's miles offside. Then I realized it was Jesus's run that I'd seen run offside. And I saw the still image and I was convinced Sterling was onside until I saw the proper angle. And thankfully, as a Liverpool fan, he was offside. But it's a point each. It keeps the title race where it was, where we were on Sunday morning is where we still are on Monday. One point between them now, seven games left. I think City have the more tricky fixtures in that they have Wolves and West Ham away as their two most difficult games. Liverpool's two most difficult games are Spurs and Wolves at home. I would rather play Spurs and Wolves at home than Wolves and West Ham away, without doubt. Uh, Liverpool do have Man City, uh, Manchester United and Everton to play, but they're both awful. And Liverpool should beat them both comfortably. So there's no excuse there if Liverpool don't beat them. If Liverpool don't beat those two teams at home, they don't deserve to be league champions. Simple as that. If you can't beat the worst Man United team since the 80s at home 
And this is the worst Man United team since the 80s. This is a team that's worse than what they were under Oli, under Jose, under Van Hal. This is worse than under Moyes. Because under Moyes, it was kind of understandable. They hadn't really spent anything post-Ferguson. They brought in Fellaini and then Mata in the January. But you knew the squad needed a massive overhaul. This squad has had a billion quid spent on it. This is the worst team post-Ferguson. So you've got to go back to the very early years of Ferguson, the squad Ferguson inherited, to find one as bad. And even, to be fair, the team he inherited was better than this. Like, you go back and look at the 1985 FA Cup final, the year before Ferguson takes over. That United team has Norman Whiteside, age 20, a truly special player. It has Paul McGrath, age 26, one of the greatest centre-backs of all time. It is Kevin Moran, age 29, a quality central defender. It has Brian Robson, age 28, in his peak, in his pomp, one of the great midfielders English football has ever seen. It has Gordon Strachan, 28, in his prime, an outstanding footballer. It has Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes was 22. A tremendous footballer. And he got sold the next year to Barcelona and then obviously came back. But Mark Hughes was an excellent player at that point. And Frank Stapleton. He was 29. He was a proven goal scorer. He'd been in Arsenal for years. He'd gone to United, he would go on, obviously, play for a bunch of clubs after that. Ajax, Anderlecht, Derby County, Le Havre, Blackburn, Aldershot. Became a bit of a journeyman as he, you know, went into his 30s, but he was a good player. Frank Stapleton was a good player. And Jesper Olsen, who was 25, 24 rather, one of the most exciting young wingers in the world. That United team was good. That United team made sense. Uh, Doff of the cap to uh, goalkeeper Gary Bailey, um, who I I don't know much about, but played for United for a long time. Uh, John Gidman, the right back. He was moved out the following year to Manchester City. And Arthur Aldiston, who was at United for 14 years, made 379 league appearances, likely somewhere in the region Oh, 485 appearances for Manchester United across 14 years. He won three FA Cups. You don't do that if you're a bad player, so credit to him. That's a good United team. That's that's a better team than they have now. That's a better team they have now. You've got to go back before that. So before Ron Atkinson to find a worse United team. If Liverpool can't beat them, they don't deserve to win the league. If they can't beat this Everton team, who are tragically poor. They don't deserve to win the Premier League. City would be more disappointed with the result because they should have won. They were comfortably the better team on the day. But they'd also be happy to just get out of the weekend, top of the league, and know that now the title is fully in their hands. It doesn't matter what Liverpool do. All they need to do is win their games. If they win all seven, they're league champions. Before yesterday... If Liverpool won their eight games, it would include a beat a defeat of City. And Liverpool will be league champions. So it is what it is. Uh, and Micah Richards, no, it's not harsh that a fellow who was offside was ruled offside. It's just not harsh. That's just the rules of the game. Uh, so as we stand, we have still an ongoing title race. Manchester City and Liverpool, one point between them, seven games left. Chelsea should finish third that shouldn't be an issue we still have I think a five team race for fourth now I know it's a bit much to put Wolves in this but if I'm putting West Ham and United into it Wolves are only two points behind them so 
That's still exciting. Spurs have seven left. So do United. West Ham and Wolves have six games left. Arsenal have eight games left. That game in hand is the game against Chelsea. The top eight is going to be the top eight. No one's breaking into that. Although Leicester could, they've got three games in hand. They're nine points behind Wolves. But does anyone trust? Now, one of them is against Everton, so they should win that. But does anyone trust Leicester to win three games in a row, games in hand? No, I don't think so. Leicester still have nine games left uh, because Brendan Rodgers was pretending they had no um, no players at one point in the season because they were losing to everybody. Um, except Liverpool. They beat Liverpool with no players. <laughs> um, Leicester, Palace, Brighton. I would say it's those three most likely to finish in the ninth and tenth spots. Villa and Brentford are there as well. They're only a point behind Palace and Brighton, but I just don't trust Villa. 17 defeats this season. 17 defeats this season. There's only three teams have lost more games this year than Aston Villa. Watford, 21. Norwich, 20. And Everton, 18. Even Burnley only lost 14. Newcastle were terrible for longer than you. They've only lost 13. That is pathetic. So I don't trust them to get top half. Um, Palace, Brighton and Villa all have seven games left. Brentford have six games left. Southampton have seven left. Newcastle have seven left. Leeds should be safe. They have six left. Those those group, Villa, Brentford, Southampton and Newcastle, not a whole lot left to play for. Maybe get yourselves one or two more points and then head for the beach. And then we've got a bottom four. We've got Everton. We've got Burnley. We've got Watford. We've got Norwich. Watford and Norwich have seven games left. Burnley and Everton have eight games left. There are seven points between... Norwich and Everton, but Norwich's goal difference is so disgusting that they're as good as down, in my view. Minus 43. Minus 43. They don't even have the worst defensive record in the league. That's Leeds with 68 goals conceded. Norwich have conceded 63. Then it's Watford with 60. Uh, Then Newcastle with 54. And then Southampton and Everton with 52 goals conceded each. If you're conceding over 50 goals in the Premier League, there's something badly wrong. I think it's going to come down to Everton or Burnley, but Watford will probably win a game they shouldn't win. They'll probably beat City or something and throw themselves back into the mix, and then we'll all have to rethink. But look, great win for Norwich at the weekend. Terrible defeat for Burnley. Bad defeat for Watford, especially the scoreline. But it's still all to play for at the top, four top four and the bottom four. Take a break, back in two. Right, welcome back. So uh, we have Gareth Crook's team of the week to enjoy. Uh, he's gone for Jordan Pickford in goal. I actually can't disagree with it. He did make some very, very good saves. So fair play. Uh, I'm not really sure how Antonio Rudiger can be in this, considering he had no defensive work to do at all. Uh, Van Dijk, Gibson, again, I'm not really sure on that one. Didn't have a ton to do. Uh, and then he's just gone with what he does. So the lads that scored get in the team. Mwepu, Mwepu with a goal and an assist, so fair play. Uh, mounted two goals and maybe two assists. Dewsbury Hall, goal and assist. Kulisevsky, goal and assist. Son, hat-trick has to be in. He was, he was unbelievable, to be fair. Mane is questionable. He, he had a good second half. He didn't play well the first half. And Timo Werner deserves to be in. Mane, I would question there as to whether or not he, he should be in this in this collective team for the weekend. I think you could make a strong case that Ivan Tony 
is more deserving of that spot. But, you know, it is Gareth Crooks. He doesn't really watch football. He watches Spurs and he watches Match of the Day. Uh, Rudiger's mad to me. They, They have no defending to do at all. And Ben Gibson... I mean, look, it could have been worse. He could have tried to put Grant Hanley in there. Uh, but we'll give that team a, 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 a B plus, a B plus for Garth this week, um, which is an improvement on the dross he normally puts forth. Um, some mad games over the weekend around Europe. So let's start with La Liga. So we're just going to jump around Europe for a bit because we've got a bit of time to fill here. Uh, Sevilla beat Granada 4-2. Um, Real Betis beat Cadiz 2-1. Real Madrid beat Hatafe 2-0. Barcelona beat Levante 3-2. Levante had three penalties, scored two of them, missed one, had a much higher XG and, and created a bunch of chances in the game um, against Barcelona, but still managed to blow it. Still managed to throw it away. Very disappointing stuff. Um, table right now in in Spain looks like the following: Real Madrid top, Barcelona second, Sevilla third. They're level on points, but Barca have a game in hand. Atletico Madrid now fourth. They lost at the weekend, and Real Betis are only one point behind them with the same number of games played and the same goal difference. That's going to get really tight. You know what the most staggering thing about Atletico Madrid's season this year is? Real Madrid, Barcelona, Sevilla, Betis, Sociedad, Villarreal, and Athletic Bilbao, and Celta Vigo, and Rayo Vallecano, and Hatafe. That's 10 teams with a better defensive record this season in La Liga than Atletico Madrid. They've got the worst defensive record out of the top eight. And then the teams 12, 13, and 14 have all conceded less. They've got the 11th best defensive record in the league. This is a team that was built on being defensive. This is a team, remember, that are roundly disparaged for being uber defensive. The 11th best defensive record in La Liga. Uh, in Syria, AC Milan are top, but they've drawn back-to-back games and allowed Inter to close the gap on them. And now Inter are two points behind with a game in hand. Napoli missed their chance to go top by losing at the weekend. Napoli, Napoli lost 3-2 to Fiorentina. Inter beat Verona 2-0. Milan drew 0-0 with Torino. Uh, Juventus beat Cagliari 2-1. So Juve are fourth in the league. All teams have two games left in the top four, except for Inter. They or Sorry, have six games left in that top four, except for Inter, who have seven. Inter look good value to reclaim the title if they win that game in hand. Milan should have this put to bed. They've drawn too many games. They've drawn too many bad games. They should be beating Torino. Torino aren't very good. Torino are 11th in the league. Drew Bologna last week. Like Bologna aren't good either. Where are they? 13th. That's their bad results for Milan. And Napoli, like I say, losing to Fiorentina at home as well. Losing 3-2 at home to Fiorentina is just not good. Um, Arthur Cabral, the young, is he Brazilian striker that they brought in to replace Vlahovic? He looks he looks a player as well. Uh, Osimian did score a great goal in that game. If you haven't seen that goal, uh, you'll probably find it on, on YouTube. Um, in the Bundesliga, where... We only have 34 games left. Every Sorry, 34 games in the season. Everybody has five games left. Bayern Munich are nine points clear. Bayern are going to win the title. Dortmund will be second. There's then an eight-point gap to Leverkusen and a one-point gap to Leipzig, Leverkusen, and Leipzig 
will likely fill out the Champions League spots with Freiburg finishing fifth. Um, Leverkusen, if they can keep everyone fit, will be a lot of fun next season. Their season was hampered massively by the Patrick Schick injury. And obviously now they've lost Florian Wirtz as well for eight months, nine months, however long it's going to take. But to lose Schick, who was in the best form of his career, he is back now. He came back at the weekend and started. But he was in unbelievable form before he got hurt. And that really hurt them. But Gerardo Sione has done a great job there in his first season. And he'll be hoping that next season he can put together a title challenger. They've got a lot of good young players there. Top Sapa, uh, Hincapi, the left back. Kasonu, the centre-back they got in from, I think, Club Bruges. Jeremy Frimpong, not sold on the goalkeeper. I think a new goalkeeper there. But Palacios and Verts in midfield could do another one there, <clears throat> a more natural ball winner type. But when you've got the likes of Musa Diaby on one wing, Patrick Schick up front, and then you can go Bellarabi, you can go Sadar Usman, you can go whatever way you want, really. Um, with that other wide spot, Paulinho's a very good option. Can't think, is it Amin Adley? Amin Adley they signed as well in the summer. He's super talented. They've got Demer Bay there, another good player. So they've got a lot of talent. It's just a matter of plugging the gaps. New goalkeeper. Some people do like Kradecki. He's not for me. Um, and some people like Aaron Goose and Andrich. I, I just don't think they're good enough if you want to be challenging for titles. Um Last but not least, then we'll take a look. Oh, no, we do the Portuguese league as well, to be fair. Uh, PSG had a rather easy evening. Uh, six won't win over Clermont Foot. Um, Neymar scored three, Mbappe scored three. I think Messi had three assists. I saw someone say, I wouldn't get too excited. Most most people think Clermont Foot is some sort of ailment. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, they're going to they're gonna run away with the league. They are 12 points clear with seven games left. Uh, Marseille are second, Rennes third. Rennes are three points behind Marseille. Those two should get Champions League football for next year. Then we've got Strasbourg fourth, Nice fifth, Monaco sixth. Disappointing season for them. Lille up into seventh. They've strung together a five-game unbeaten run, but unfortunately for them, only two of them were wins, but they were 11th at one point in the season and looking disastrous. Leon are having a terrible season. They're 10th. Their only hope of Champions League next football, Champions League football next season, is to win the uh, the Europa the Europa League, which they could do. They could do, but it's going to be difficult. They'll have to get through West Ham in the second leg, then potentially Barca, and then potentially Leipzig or Atalanta in the in the final. So none of that's going to be easy. In Portugal, we have Porto, top of the league. Again, there are only 34 games in their season, so only five left. They're six points clear of Sporting. They're unbeaten, which is a great achievement. Sporting, to be fair, they've lost twice, but aside from that, they have matched Porto stride for stride. This is back-to-back seasons in which these two have separated themselves from the pack. Uh, Benfica third again because that's where they're going to finish until they get their act together um and Braga in fourth because Braga are the fourth best team most years some years they might finish third but most years they're going to be fourth and then there'll be a gap to everybody else but um yeah credit to Porto that's they can go unbeaten that's a hell of an achievement anytime you can go unbeaten in the league season it's a hell of an achievement we might as well drop in on our friends from the north, the lads in Scotland, where we find Celtic six points clear at the top of the table. A rampant, rampant Celtic at the weekend. 7-0 winners over St. Johnston. 7-0. Some incredible football played. Uh, Rangers beat St. Mirren 4-0. I'm just going to mark that down as a lucky victory. Uh, Hearts beat Hibs. 3-1 in the Edinburgh Derby. That was a decent game of football, to be fair. 
Uh, disappointed in Hibs on the day, but um, I shouldn't really be surprised. Hibs are sitting seven in the league, whereas Hearts are third. They are the better team, and it shouldn't be a surprise they won the game. But yeah, Celtic six points clear. I genuinely couldn't tell you how the rest of this plays out because there's this weird thing where they break them up into the two little mini leagues, top versus bottom. Um, I think that's from now. Is it from now? Maybe there's one more game as it stands and then it breaks up. But either way, Celtic should win the league from here. If they don't, it'll be a collapse. Uh, They deserve to win the title at this point. They have been the better team across the season. We'll do the gossip and we will be done for today. RB Leipzig want to hijack Manchester United's bid to appoint Eric Ten Hag as their new manager. They've done well under Tedesco. That's a bit of a strange one. I do wonder if there's not a little bit of a narrative starting to build in case Ten Hag turns United down. Or in case they pivot and go to Pochettino and all the journalists rush to announce something that wasn't quite as done as they wanted wanted to believe it was. Paris Saint-Germain are in talks to sign Romelu Lukaku. I doubt it. Manchester United and Arsenal have joined the race to sign Darwin Nunes after sending scouts to watch him at the weekend, where I believe, I haven't seen the game yet, but I believe, did Darwin score a hat-trick? Yes, he did. A hat-trick of goals for Darwin Nunes at the weekend. He is having an outstanding season. He really is having an outstanding season. 24 goals in 24 games in the league, 31 in 36 in all competitions. He has five in nine games in the Champions League. Uh, at 22, that's a hell of a return. Um, he's not going to join a Europa League team, I don't believe, or a Conference League team, as could be the case with Manchester United. So I don't think he ends up going to either of those clubs. Um, but others have been credited with interest as well. If Nunes leaves, Benfica boss Nelson Verissimo hopes the club will receive close to the 113 million they got for Joe Felix. They won't. It'll be somewhere in the 60 million range. Uh, Erling Haaland has dismissed <laughs> has dismissed interest for Manchester United because he does not believe they can fulfill his ambitions. Haaland has not decided between Man City and Real Madrid, but it is unlikely he will move to Barcelona. Roma and AC Milan. Oh, Roma, AC Milan and Juventus have... No, they haven't. Jesse Lingard's agent wants people to think that Juventus and AC Milan want Jesse Lingard. Roma, I could understand because he worked under Mourinho, but he'd end up at West Ham or Newcastle. Uh, Borussia Dortmund are favourites to sign Eden Hazard. No, they're not. That's a lie made up in the fact that his brother plays there. Roma are interested in Douglas Louise. He's a good player. He is a good player. Manchester United are planning on overhauling their midfield this season. Should have been done years ago. I saw, so somebody pointed out in 2000, I think it was 2018, 2018, 19, maybe, United lost to Everton. Manchester United, uh, 18, 19. United lost to Everton. I believe they lost 4 0. And Ollie came out after the game and said that some of those players wouldn't be there next season. Yeah, so it was the 21st of April, 2019. It's almost three years ago. Ollie came out after the game. He was only just after taking over as caretaker. I think he'd been appointed permanent manager like a month before. And he said, what did he say? He said, some of these players won't be here next season. I saw someone point out at the weekend, Nine of them are still at the club. Nine of those who started are still at the club. And six of them started on Wednesday. Or on on Saturday, rather. Everton FC, 4-0, Manchester United. What was that United team on the day? So, um, De Gea, still there. Lindelof, still there. Smalling's gone. Phil Jones is still there. Delo is still there. Pogba, Matic and Fred. Rashford, 
Lukaku's gone. Martial, they still own. He's on loan. So, yeah, like, Smalling and Lukaku have been sold. Martial loaned, and all the rest are still there. On the bench, you had Alexis. He's gone. Juan Mata's still there. Lingard's still there. Pereira's on loan. Young and Romero gone, and McTominay's still there. They they All that money, and the, the squad is still that same trash. Um. Anyway, I got caught up with that. Let's move on. Tottenham's chances are of signing Josco Gvardiol are extremely unlikely, according to RB Live, which I can only assume is something connected to Red Bull. Uh, Chelsea have approached Arsenal's English Academy forward Kayon Edwards over a potential summer transfer. He's meant to be sensationally talented. Arsenal keep producing these young forwards and not getting their contract situation sorted. A number of Premier League and European clubs are expected to make a summer move for Levi Colwell of Chelsea, who is impressed on loan. A permanent mover, if they sell him, that's the height of stupidity. He is special, that kid. Uh, Spain forward Marco Asensio is expected to leave Real Madrid this summer. Yeah, he's never been the same since the knee injury. He just hasn't. Um... Kylian Mbappe is expected now to remain at Paris Saint-Germain, according to the Sunday Mirror. And Real Madrid would then step up their pursuit of Erling Haaland. There's no way they lose out on both of them. Uh, Both Haaland and Arlene Chumeni both want to sign for Real Madrid. Um, It's from AS. It's a Madrid fanzine. So there's nothing to be taken from that. Tottenham manager Antonio Conte wants to sign a number 10 in the summer to allow Harry Kane to focus on playing more as a striker. This is from the Mail on Sunday. This is nonsense. He doesn't play with a number 10, so it seems very unlikely. Tottenham and Arsenal are set to go head-to-head to sign James Madison. Again, to play where? Like, unless Spurs are going to change the system and play a 3-5-2, in which case one of Son or Kulisewski drops out. And at Arsenal, well, they've got Odegaard. They've got Smith-Rowe. They've got their number 10s. It makes no sense. This is just a made-up story. Aston Villa manager Steven Gerrard is planning a big summer transfer window with as many as eight players for sale. Joe Gomez and Yves Basuma are key key targets. Inter Milan are interested in re-signing Romelu Lukaku, but only on a loan deal. Offer them Lukaku for Laturo and see what happens. Juventus are interested in signing Jorginho. Manchester United hopes of signing Yuri Thielemans have received a boost with potential rivals Liverpool and West Ham no longer interested. He wasn't going to go to West Ham anyway. Um, But I don't know where the £25 million price, I, I don't know who this Ben Jacobs fella is. Um, he writes for CBS, but he's a Leicester fan. I, I don't know where he gets 25 million from. Maybe he's been told that by a club source. I'd imagine Telemans goes for more than that. Um, I, I reckon he might end up at Arsenal, to be honest. United are set to lose out of millions if they fail to qualify for the Champions League because of a club, a clause in their club sponsorship. So most of their sponsorship deals are set up that if they miss two years of Champions League back-to-back, they don't get their... They don't get the full amount. Now, whether or not it's two, uh, three years or what, I don't know, but they've qualified the last couple of years, so they should be fine. They've got loads of money anyway, so they'll be all right. Eric Ten Hag is lining up Robin Van Persie as his assistant. These stories are just mad. Rangers have no plans to extend... Ahmed Diallo's loan deal or try to negotiate a permanent deal. Why would United allow that? Liverpool are in the race to sign Gleison Bremer. No, they're not. Uh, Antonio Conte will hold a meeting with Carlos Tevez. No, he won't. As a possible deal for... He's 38. Garbage. Uh, Spurs will demand £21 for Emerson Royal this summer. I don't think he'll get sold. Chelsea will listen to offers for Levi Colwell. I, I, there have to be loan offers. Genuinely. 
Derby's perspective new owner wants Wayne Rooney to remain in charge. Well, give, give the man a contract. Get him signed up for the long term. Then he'll stay. Right, that'll do me. I'll, I'll only start shouting. Otherwise, these are stupid. Um, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.